UVA and Virginia Tech continue to work their way through disappointing basketball seasons, while players from the Commonwealth help reshape the rest of the ACC. All that and a wild weekend in the NFL, this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome in to episode 75 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC sports podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me here as always, my co-host and now 14-time sports writer of the year, David Teal. David, congratulations on your latest hardware. Well, thank you, sir. Uh, David, we spend a lot of time, and, and you win a lot of these awards, for focusing on, on our college sports coverage. At least for me, sometimes that, that leads to kind of forgetting about pro sports. Absolutely. Or, uh, you know, it's just, it's hard to give up that seventh day of the week to, to do sports, even though it, it is our passion. I, I spend a lot of NFL Sundays rewatching the previous day's UVA or Tech football game off my DVR, uh, breaking stuff down, and then family time. But this weekend... The weather was crummy. It stopped me from making the trip to NC State for the basketball game, as it did for you. Uh, I got to watch at least parts of all four NFL playoff games. And David, <laughs> I picked a good weekend to tune in, didn't I? Well, we both did, Mike, and I'm not sure how anyone could not tune in. If you did just for a millisecond, you were probably hooked. And it was truly remarkable. Four games all decided on the final play. And it was interesting yesterday, driving up to Charlottesville for the Louisville-UVA basketball game, I was listening to various college sports talk shows on satellite radio. And all of them were talking about the NFL. <laughs> that, that, that's how riveting it all was, capped, of course, by Chiefs, Bills, and Mahomes, Josh Allen, and as just exceptional a quarterback game as you'll ever see. And, and David, you know, we talk a lot uh, on this podcast about the great quarterback play we're getting to see in the ACC. Uh, the NFL's at a level right now yeah. where some of the best, and I know it's hard to compare generations, and, and I grew up as a huge Dan Marino fan, and, and the things he did, I, I thought nobody else was doing really in the NFL at that time. Um, certainly, you know, the, the tried and true uh, clutch performances of Elway in Montana, uh, the gunslinger of Favre, but, you know, I don't want to say better, best. This is a great era of, of quarterback play in the NFL, is it not? Well, it's almost... A, a passing of the torch, Mike, because you got Brady, who's arguably the best ever. Certainly, if you go by Super Bowls, he is. Aaron Rodgers is remarkable in his own right and probably the MVP this season. And they exit the playoffs this weekend while the the younger guys, for the most part, Joe Burrow, you know, Allen, Mahomes, you know, Garoppolo, eh, yeah, we'll, we'll <laughs> special teams saved him in, in the 49ers. But still, you know, guys who weren't even in the playoffs, you, you look at some of the younger quarterbacks who, who are so good. And uh, it, it is, it's a remarkable time in the league. 
And, and it's always interesting to me. I'm, I'm fascinated by Matthew Stafford. I'm always fascinated by guys who, you know, people say, oh, he was a bust or he didn't pan out. And how much of it was the team he went to? And Matthew Stafford suffered in Detroit. And there was always the question of, okay, is he great? Is he good? Is he okay? Was he a miss? And, and now I think we see a little bit of, of what he can do. And, you know, I, I've always pointed to, and, and certainly Tom Brady has proven to be a, a great quarterback and what he's done at Tampa only cements that legacy. But, uh, you know, Tom Brady went to a really good place in, in New England. And it, it makes you wonder if, if someone else had gone there, what they could have done. And if Tom Brady had gone uh, somewhere, le- what would Tom Brady have done with the Detroit Lions? And I, I think Tom Brady's a great, all-time great player. I don't know that he would have done anything with the Detroit Lions. <laughs> Mike, how many Thanksgivings have you spent <laughs> watching Matthew Stafford and the no-account Lions get their teeth kicked in? Right. And, and you, it's to the point that you either feel bad or... Or you tune it off, right? It's yes. like, why am I watching? And you know, and again, you know, depending on your age, and, and um, you know, we're both older than than maybe some of the listeners, but not others. Thanksgiving for me with the Detroit Lions as a kid, there was Barry Sanders, yeah. and even if they weren't playing well, Barry Sanders was worth watching, mm-hmm. right? He was worth leaving your your turkey sandwich for a second and, and seeing you know him run the wrong direction for twenty yards spin around and then break an 80 yard touchdown run. Uh, yeah, that was a bad Detroit team that Matthew Stafford got stuck on. So um, it, it was good to see him with, with some supporting cast around him. And, and you're right. They, you know, it was one of those where I've got a really good friend who's super into the NFL and, and super into sports betting. And I get a million texts from him. Are you watching this game? You're missing this. And, and normally it's, I think he's over the top and I'm not missing anything. Right. And each one of his messages this weekend is what prompted me to check what was happening. And I was glad I did. And, and I, I do feel bad. He he wanted to take a, well, it worked out, but he wanted to take a four-team parlay with all the underdogs. Uh, wow. 100 bucks would have paid 3000 I talked him out of it. And then Saturday, when two of them are victorious, I'm thinking, am I going to owe this guy three grand for talking him out of this bet? <laughs> But uh, it, it didn't. It didn't shake out that way. But yeah, I, I thought it, that it was, almost did. Dude. It, it, it could couldn't have come any closer. Thirteen right? seconds. Yes, and, and I just I think the NFL needed that weekend um, because you're right, David. I think even people who aren't captivated by the NFL had to be drawn in, and uh, it was a great great weekend for the NFL. And, and like I said, great weekend for us to have a little downtime to to be able to enjoy that games. But there was one issue with the way one of those games played out. And that brings us to this edition of Take It or Leave It. Thank you, Mike. The NFL needs to adjust its overtime rules to guarantee both teams a chance to have the ball. Take it or leave it. Let's start with David. I will take it, guys. The NFL has had this issue ever since overtime became a thing. I mean, the first overtime game was the Giants-Colts. NFL championship game back in the late 50s, 58, Yankee Stadium, Johnny Unitas, Alan Amici, all that stuff. And the coin flip has always played such an oversized role in this. I don't understand. Football is played with a clock, just like basketball. Basketball plays a five-minute overtime. No matter who scores first, second, third, fourth, it doesn't matter. You play five minutes. Why can't football play 10 minutes. It just seems easy. Thank you, David. Mike? 
Yeah, you know, I, I, have, I have no problem with the Kansas City Chiefs winning. <laughs> um, and that was a, a, a thing. <laughs> the it guilt was factor. A, it, it, was a, it was a great finish. And, and it just makes no sense to me from this standpoint, David. The NFL did change their overtime rules to guarantee that both teams got the ball if the first team kicked a field goal. I don't understand at all why that matters. I, I don't understand that differentiation. If you're okay with the team that gets the ball, scores, and wins – I disagree, but fine, that's your rule. If you agree that both teams deserve the ball, what what does it matter what way the first team scored? And that's to me, that's I, maybe I'm missing something, but to me, that's just mind boggling. It makes no sense. If you agree that both teams deserve the ball in overtime, give them both the ball in overtime. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think it would affect too many things. And David, here's the thing the games that it would affect. What are you getting? You're getting more riveting overtime playoff football for your viewers. Like, what is the problem here? It's like you're leaving something on the table that could be, we're talking about how great, you know, this is an ACC college sports podcast. And we spent the first six minutes talking about how great the NFL was. Why not give us a few more minutes, a few more drives? The Chiefs go down and score. How about the drama of Josh Allen has the chance to answer. Right. And if the Chiefs stop him, great, they win. And if they don't, great, we get more football. Like I I don't mind the the single possession deal. I, I don't think you have to play a full overtime, but I, I it just baffles me to, to think why would you not want <laughs> to give a, a great game? Because if you're overtime in the playoffs, you're a great game. Why would you not want a little more of that? Well, it makes no sense. I think we all wanted to see Josh Allen again. Yeah. The the fact that he never that that his last appearance on the field was for the coin toss in overtime. That, that, that just sucks. Yeah, but he blew it. He did. He blew the coin toss. So that's, <laughs> I guess that's <laughs> I guess that's on him. So he had his chance is what people would say. But, well, like I said, great weekend. Hope they get that fixed because, um, like I said, the, the end result of fixing it is just more good football, more playoff football. So enough football, David, and and maybe enough talk about playoffs and postseason because <laughs> now it's time to talk about UVA and Tech basketball and uh, not, not at all what we expected. We both came into the year with very high hopes for Virginia Tech, a veteran roster, an absolute star in Keve Aluma, an outstanding X's and O's coach in Mike Young. These Hokies are 2-6 and six in the ACC. David, they showed some life there with the back-to-back wins over Notre Dame, who's playing very well, and NC State, who's hit or miss. But David, that road loss Oof. over the weekend to Boston College, that's it, right? That You put a fork in them at that moment? I didn't put a fork in them, Mike, but I was really close. And you know, this week, especially you know, last night, they lose at Carolina. Now they come home and play Miami tomorrow night, which is Wednesday. And then Saturday, they go to Tallahassee, where the Knowles have already beaten Miami and Duke. That's a large ask. It, it's looking really bleak for Mike Young's group. And Mike, I looked at the box score from last night, and I didn't see a, a lick of the game. But for the life of me, I can't figure out how they lost. <laughs> yep. It's 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 so peculiar. They outscored Carolina in the paint. I mean, who who figured that to happen and outscored them, you know, easily, like 36 to 20. Yeah. And they 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 shot 10% from the field better than Carolina. And Armando Baycott, you know, at one point I turned to you and said, Hey, because I, I had the stats up during the UVA Louisville game, I go Armando Bacon's five for five. He ended up seven for nineteen, which means he missed twelve of his last fourteen shots. 
and somehow Virginia Tech lost that daggone. The way the game started was, I think, what we feared. Baycott, the front court, too much for Virginia Tech, and then they did adjust, and their defense on Baycott the rest of the way was outstanding. And with everything that was happening on the other end for them, they had four players uh, in double figures. They were seven for 18 from three, which is uh, very good. Hunter Couture had one of his best games. He was three for six from uh, beyond the arc. There's really no explanation. Now, there were... And stop me if we've heard this because we were we were there for the Virginia game. There were 16 offensive rebounds by North Carolina. Yep, which and has only, been and only five for Virginia Tech, one each. But here's for Kevin Aluma and Justin Mutz. But here's the thing with that stat, David: 16 offensive rebounds. Do you know how many second chance points the Heels turned that into? Yeah, I think like four or six. Six, six. Yeah. So it certainly is a factor, right? Because you're wearing down a defense with those mm-hmm. offensive rebounds. And um, I'm sure there were some fouls in there and some other things. That, but 16 offensive rebounds, you only give up six second chance points. You shut down Baycott after the unbelievable start. You shoot the three the way they did. You're right. It, it's it's one of those games where if you blacked out the, the top part where they tell you the score and you just looked at the numbers, you'd say, okay, Tech probably won this maybe even by double digits. And it wasn't that, right? It was a 78-68 final that that I think now, um, David, if you didn't have your fork in the Hokies after Boston College, I think you can go ahead and stick it in there now, maybe dip it in some A1. I, I, think, I, think, we're, uh, I think we're done with this team, and in part because of what's left um, and the fact that it's hard to envision them notching all the wins that they're going to need down the stretch and the quality wins to make up for some of these losses. Yeah, it's, it's hard to envision a, a path for them, Mike, absent two wins the rest of this week. You know, if they could somehow get Miami and Florida State and get themselves back on track, then the schedule goes Georgia Tech, Pitt, Pitt, Syracuse, UVA at home, North Carolina at home. Yeah, Those are all winnable games. And the other thing, David, and again, we may have to just eat crow and say we were wrong about how good Virginia Tech was going to be, but at some point, right, do they put it together? And, and even if this week doesn't go their way, if they start rattling off those wins, do they go into Brooklyn with the yeah. confidence to make a run and to do something there? Um, now, they may end up in Brooklyn needing to win the whole darn thing, sure. which certainly is going to be a tough ask. Um, but yeah, I think I'm not ready to give up on them yet, but um I'm pretty darn close. <laughs> I, no, I, I, I hear you. And I, and I get the, the one discrepancy last night was number well two. Carolina made 10 threes mm-hmm. and, attempt, and made a whole bunch more free throws. Now, that's a little bit skewed because the Hokies were fouling late. Uh, but Caleb Love and R.J. Davis gave the, the Hokies fits. And I believe they combined for 37 points. And I believe that the two of them went to the line 20 times it's you know it's funny because carolina is a mystery in its own right oh you know, we, we've watched them on tv we've seen them in person at their best they look like the number two team at their in the conference at their worst they look like they could be picked off and have been picked off uh by by just about anybody yeah they're what 10 and 0 at home mike and they're a train wreck everywhere else yeah, which um, is fascinating, and not that the Dean Dome, although it's not a great place for for media to take in games this year, with the uh, seating up up near the gods and the uh, all virtual press conferences. But um, Carolina looks like a team that should be fine home or away, and they just haven't put it together. And, and that is, uh, it's a bit head scratching. It's also a bit head scratching what's going on at, at Virginia. Um, mm-hmm. 
again, not about them being great or being terrible. It's just the inconsistency. It's the unpredictability of what they're going to be. And, uh, you know, a lot of the same things we said about Virginia Tech, we could say about UVA, their road loss at NC State uh, over the weekend, that may have sunk their NCAA hopes. Their defense was terrible. And, and this isn't, sometimes we talk about Virginia being bad on defense in the context of what we expect from them. So if they give up more than 55, they were bad on defense because of what Virginia defense should be. David, this was a bad defensive performance, no matter who you were. NC State reined it in from three. Uh, Darian Sebron, who who was mostly contained in the first half, got going downhill, driving to the rim in the second half. There really wasn't there really wasn't much good to say about that defensive effort. That game may have sunk their NCAA hopes, but to Virginia's credit, they bounced back here last night. We were both at the game against Louisville, and David, I thought, especially in the first half, that might have been as good a defense as we've seen them play this year. It was really good. What they were ahead twenty-seven to eight at, at one, at one point. point yeah. uh, the, the the lead was as many as as nineteen, and you're right. I counted Mike early on. I think Louisville was two of twelve from the floor, or maybe even two of fourteen. But of of those dozen misses, I think maybe two were uncontested. Yeah, everything, same- everything else, somebody had a hand up in someone's face. Yeah, their first 10 three-pointers, they only hit one of them, and nine of them were, I would consider, well-contested. And actually, the the one they hit was well-contested, if I remember right, and and the one I had charted as kind of unchallenged, rimmed out anyway. So, uh, yeah, I, I thought that, that you know, Virginia was was dialed in on the perimeter defensively, corrected all the things that went wrong against NC State, um, and, and it looked like offensively maybe coming together. Four players scoring double figures. You know, I, I wrote about that actually as the advance for the game that Jaden Gardner said, man, if we can have everybody have a good offensive game on the same night, we'll be scary. Well, that happened. You had four double-digit scorers, and the guy who played maybe the best game, <laughs> Reese Beekman, he only scored two points. He only took but, two shots. Yeah, but David, he had a 11 assists. You pointed out to me, and I, I think it was uh, our friend Andy Fletterjohn from the ACC who alerted you that that was the most assists in a game for an ACC player in an ACC game this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pretty remarkable all-around play when you consider Beekman's impact on the defensive end uh, from the sophomore guard. Now, seven rebounds, yep. Mike, two, two steals, and those seven rebounds were one off his career high. The 11 assists were a career high, and he did. And he, you're right, and, and Tony Bennett said as much post-game that Kihei Clark and, and Beekman kind of sparked the defensive effort. And very quietly – Reese Beekman leads the league in assist to turnover ratio, and it's up around 3.7 to 1. It's off the charts good. And he leads the league in steals, and not a lot of people talk about this young man, precisely because he is prone to games where he only has a few points. And that's okay when Virginia is defending at an elite level and his teammates are scoring as they did last night. Kia Clark with 15, as Greg Medea pointed out, that's his first double-figure game since New Year's Day against Syracuse. Yeah, a lot of fans were saying, you know, UVA is going to need more from Kia. I give Kia Clark and Reese Beekman a lot of credit on that front, though. Early in the year, not so much with Reese. He's come into it here um, of late. Um, and Clark, I think, throughout his whole career, they get that sense of, when does the team need them to attack on offense? When does the team need other things from them? Um, 
You know, you didn't get a sense from Beekman that he was frustrated by not getting shots, right? You got a sense that he was thriving out there, finding teammates, getting back and playing great defense. And, um, you know, he, he's had bigger offensive games. He's had now three or four ACC games that were in double figures, including Pitt. So he's shown, hey, I can be a scorer. I can be a guy who gets to the rim. And if you're scoring 14 points for this UVA team with their low possession style, that, that's a, a big output. Um, but I give both those guys a ton of credit for being consistent defensively, um, game changers defensively, and being really good, take what the defense gives you, do what the offense needs kind of guys, and don't fall into the trap of thinking um, – you need 15 every night because that's not how this Virginia team is built. Agreed. And let's not forget, Mike, Kafaro and Caden Shedrick last night. Did they combine mm-hmm. for 20 points? Do I <laughs> do, do I have that right? Yeah, and it's- yeah Kafaro 9, Shedrick 11. Yeah, tw- 20 points and 13 rebounds. You think Tony Bennett can live with that production from the center position every night? Yeah, I think we talked about that on a, on a previous show where it isn't necessarily about Kafaro or Shedrick or you know which guy gets going, who could people make, okay, who got the minutes, who played. That position just needs to be like nine and nine, right? And they got so much more than that. You're right, right. in this game. And, and you think about uh, you know what Kafaro, I think, has been able to do since moving into the starting lineup. And it kind of goes with what I said about Clark and Beekman. I don't feel him pressing. Uh, I, I don't feel him feeling like I've got to justify being in the starting lineup. He's not taking a ton of shots. What he, I think he took three shots against Louisville. There's two yes. for three, right? Yeah. Um, now he drew some fouls, five for six at the line, had the seven rebounds. And um you know, I think that's been the most important and um, positive thing from Kafaro was there were some times where he'd come in, he's only going to get a few minutes, and he felt a little like the bull in the china shop, mm-hmm. right? Like just he had to do something. He had to get on the stat sheet. He had to justify being out there, and it usually resulted in a turnover or an offensive foul or an ugly shot that everybody made fun of, and I, I'm not seeing that now. I'm seeing a guy who, who knows and embraces his role. Um, he started, but he only played 18 minutes. But they were 18 good minutes. He didn't take bad shots. I think he only had one. Let me, I got the buck. One turn. He had one turnover in the game. Um, they're just getting steady play from him. If they can get steady play from Shedrick, who had some great moments late in the second half. Yes. Um, some some big defensive plays. A couple big dunks when the game was getting tight. Um, you know, that's what this team needs. They, they need to hit some threes. They need to keep Gardner going inside. Uh, they need Clark and, and Beekman to be great on the perimeter. Um, and then they need to get something from those inside guys. And against Louisville, and again, you know, what what are you going to be night in, night out? Where is that consistency? But against Louisville, they got all that. They did. And now the challenge is bottle it. Mm-hmm. Give me that consistency that you just referenced. Because Virginia's last two, four, eight games – Lose, win, lose, win, lose, win. Last six games, excuse me. Haven't won consecutive games since January 1st and 4th. Haven't lost back-to-back games all year. All year, to to their credit. Yes, but now, Mike, if if Virginia wants to be taken seriously as an NCAA tournament, win the next three. Oh, absolutely. Notre Dame on the road. Hey, tough, tough place to go. Irish are seven and zero at home this year, shooting lights out. I mean, shot it remarkably well against Louisville on Saturday, like sixty five percent beyond the arc and sixty three percent overall. But that's that's a team that Virginia can beat on the road, and then you come home for two games next week against BC and Miami. 
Yeah, Miami's playing great, but you're at home. Beat BC, beat Miami. Win those three, and then you've got a little cushion going to Cameron. And that's what's fascinating about their schedule. We talked a little bit about how tech schedule shapes up. Virginia, for better or worse, the opportunity oh, yeah. to pick up the wins that will get you to the NCAA tournament, the opportunity is there. You get mm-hmm. Duke twice. You get Florida State. You get Miami twice. Mm-hmm. You, you win all those games, you're in. Now, I don't think anybody in their right mind thinks they're winning all those games. No. But y- you win some, right? If you find a way to get Miami once or twice, if you find a way to somehow get Duke once and you win the games you're supposed to, now we feel like it's an NCA resume. Now, I-, I think personally Virginia left too much work to be done, and I don't like the matchup with Duke, and I don't like the matchup with Florida State. I think they go 0-3 in those. Um, Miami, I think they have a chance depending on uh, how well Miami uh, shoots it in, the- in those games, but I don't like the matchup with Florida State or Duke. I, I think it's going to be hard to get done, and I think you know the early losses to Navy and JMU, the, the game they squandered against Wake, um, yep. you throw those three in the win column, and, and I feel differently one, about the position they're in, but two, David, I just feel differently about them as a team, right? Like maybe I'm saying they have a chance to get Florida State or pick Duke off at home or uh, it just, it, it seems like they dug a hole that, that they've left themselves a little too much work here, but the opportunities are there. Mike, they'd probably feel a whole lot different about themselves. Yeah, I, I think they. I think it would be a different storyline around this team if those results had, had gone a different way. And, you know, again, you look at things and say, okay, Navy was the season opener. They're going to get better from there. That's fine. But how much better and how quickly, right? If you get better before the turn of the calendar and you're playing NCAA tournament level basketball, the Navy loss doesn't hurt you so much. But if you are where you are, which is Heading towards February as a still very iffy team, a team that we're not sure what we're going to get out of you on a given night. Now you're going back and thinking missed opportunities may be killer. And uh, I don't know, you know, again, much like Virginia Tech, I don't like the the odds here for them to be an NCAA tournament team. But uh, like I said, the opportunities are there. They absolutely are, and uh, in in both you know both venues, road and home, and you you pick off a couple on the road, and that'll really open some eyes. And it absolutely does start this weekend. I'm I'm making the trip out to South Bend. I'm looking forward to this game. I believe Notre Dame hit 15 threes in their game Saturday, uh, which is just remarkable. And and certainly we knew going into the year that Mike Bray had a good offensive team and um, some really talented shooters. Uh, I don't know if we knew what he'd be getting from Blake Wesley, the freshman, but um, this is an interesting matchup because you look at at what – Virginia did against NC State perimeter defense. Terrible. NC State was able to just bang them from three. You look at how well they played, particularly in the first half against Louisville, perimeter defense. If they play the way they played in the first half against Louisville, I really like their chances at Notre Dame. If they play the way they played against NC State, I don't think they have a snowball's chance in South Bend against the Fighting Irish. So, you know, and again, it keeps going back to this, and it is fairly un-Tony Bennett-like that they've just been very inconsistent. Very much so. Another curious part about the matchup on Saturday, Mike, is you're talking about two teams, perhaps more than any others in the league, that are so dependent on their starters. Yeah. I mean, they, they, especially in the backcourt, you know, what, what Kihei Clark and Reese Beekman both logged 
38 minutes plus last night, 37-38. And it's going to need to be that way the rest of the season. And, and similarly, Mike Bray leans so hard on Prentice Hub and Blake Wesley and Dane Goodwin. It's uh, those two. I mean, they're they're Jim Beheim esque right now. Yeah. In in how the, not deep they're going into their bench, and you know, I mean, UVA is basically down to to a seven man rotation. Uh, Shedrick and Statman off the bench, and um, that's basically been it. And, and essentially, what Tony Bennett has told us was, if things are going well, that's what he's doing. Um, if things are going poorly, that's when he threw some minutes to Tane Murray. Let's see if he can uh, give a spark. Um, if things are going poorly, maybe Igor Milicic Jr. gets another look or, or Carson McCorkle, who's just buried down the end of that bench and, and is starting to feel like maybe one of those uh, off-your-transfer type guys. But right now, if Virginia's in the game or things are going well, it's a short rotation with, with Shedrick and Statman off the bench, and that's it. Very true. The, the one thing that Virginia has in its favor, not playing a withering pace, not to suggest that Virginia's defense is easy on the body and they don't work hard, but you're not sprinting up and down the floor, especially on offense. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I think people probably undervalue how exhausting it is to play defense for Virginia, but it is not as exhausting um, you know, as, as the old Carolina Roy Williams track meet yes. uh, style where you're just and, – and that's why those teams do sub more and do get deeper mm-hmm. into their bench. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting. It'll also be interesting as this stretch comes through here for Virginia and we figure out, you know, honestly where they are. Do they have a, a postseason to chase this year? Um or at some point, do they, and this isn't really Tony Bennett's style, do they become developmental? Uh, do they play some of these young guys more minutes simply because they need to develop them and figure out exactly what they have? And um, it, it doesn't sound like, and we haven't seen, we certainly haven't seen Tony Bennett in that situation. So it's hard to predict. The way he talks about Kihei Clark and wanting him to go outright, it's hard for me to envision him taking that approach. But but David, if they get to that point, it, it might be the smart play. It could be. I I, I... I don't envision him doing that. And I, I thought the analogy last night with, yeah. w- with Kihei and his career arc was very interesting about his career being a movie. And it started out with this blockbuster scene. And, of course, referring to the national championship that the Cavaliers won in Clark's freshman season. But people always remember – the final scene. Mm-hmm. And regardless of, of wins and losses, he wants Kihei Clark to go out the right way in terms of leadership and the, the way he guides this team, not only on the floor, but off the floor. And he wants that memory to be fond for him. And it's a very natural wish. Uh, how it all plays out will be very intriguing to watch. Yeah, I like the point. I think a better analogy, David, would be one of these five, six, seven, eight season long television shows. And the first couple seasons were really great. And then what happens? Some of the writers leave, (laughs) right, to go somewhere else. Some of the stars get a different deal or a movie deal and they're gone for a season. Maybe you kill off some important characters, <laughs> Ty Jerome, Kyle Guy, DeAndre Hunter, and, and all of a sudden you get to the, the end and, um, you know, 
Dexter's going off and fans are grumbling or uh, it cuts to black and you don't know what happens to Tony Soprano. And, oh, yeah. Was, there you go. <laughs> fans are thinking that, hey, I love this for all these seasons, but boy, that ending stunk. And uh, you certainly hope that isn't the case for Kihei Clark. But I'm I'm going with the, the long-running TV series over the movie analogy. But <laughs> I, I like Tony's point. You know, it's an interesting ACC that these two teams are operating in. Whew. Because it, it is not as good as it's been. Um you know, Duke certainly is Duke. But after that, there are a lot of question marks. Um, the coaches are going to tell you every week, every Monday on our Zoom call with the coaches, they're going to tell you, hey, the league is great. It's parody. And it's a situation where good teams are beating other good teams. And that's why we've all got these losses. That brings us to this week's edition of Who You Got. Thank you, Mike. Duke, Florida State, Miami, and Wake Forest seem to be on their way to uh, NCAA tournament bids. Beyond those, however, which ACC team do you think has the best chance of being included in the big dance in March? Who you got? Let's start with Mike. Yeah, you know, it's funny. As I wrote this question, I thought that the honest answer might be none of them. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Right? I mean, and this is starting to feel like a year where the fifth best team in the ACC is very much a bubble team. and uh, But it also feels, and I think I've said this before, it also feels a little bit like bowl selection time this past football season, where you have a bunch of teams and they're going to get there and you're just trying to parse and separate six and six and seven and five in the football season. Now, I'm going to take North Carolina for, for my answer on this one. And I know, I know we've seen some bad North Carolina, but we've seen some good North Carolina. And I, I think that... I think that they're going to put it together. I think that they're going to be able to ride Armando Baycott in that front court. I think they're going to get it done. Let me say this. I think they're going to get it done to be the fifth team in the ACC. Am I sure that's going to get them in the NCAA tournament? No, probably not this year. Uh, They may very well be bubble. But I think of the teams that are left, and and I'm kind of picking there between Notre Dame and and UNC and, and probably UVA. I think Carolina's got the best chance to, to get it done and, and drag themselves across the finish line, if you will. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. David? That's a ringing endorsement, Mike. Right. Drag themselves across the finish line. The, the imagery, I, I just see Hubert Davis <laughs> dragging these cats, you know, kicking and screaming. But you're, you're right, and I agree with you on Carolina. In fact, it's not close if you just look at talent and depth of talent. It's it's clearly North Carolina. The question becomes, can they shake this funk where they are so terrible away from home? I mean, they are 10-0 at the Smith Center. I mean, really, really good. And yet away, they're the times are just so lifeless, especially on deep. I mean, they gave up 98 to Wake. The other day, 98 in Wake Forest is playing great. This is the first time since Chris Paul was playing in Winston-Salem. The Deacons have had three consecutive ACC victories of at least 15 points. I mean, they just boat raced Boston College last night, which is further indictment of Virginia Tech losing to Boston College on Saturday. And the one thing, and, and you mentioned, Mike, the ACC coaches every week. Oh, you know, our, our teams are getting better, and some of these non-conference games that we lost in November and December, if we played them now, the results would probably be different. Well, guys, guess what? 
Everybody else in the country is getting better as the season goes. You, you, you think improvement, that's just an ACC thing? No. There's a reason that ACC teams were 4-16 and 16 against the top 25 in non-conference play. And the reason is the league's not that good. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. You know, you, you look at um, the teams that they lost to and what they've done, and some of them have been really good. Some of them have been kind of eh, mm-hmm. right? And when you lose to kind of eh, that tells me you're kind of eh, right? That's that's what you are. Now, we both picked Carolina, but I am intrigued still by Notre Dame and Mike Bray, um, in part because of the schedule. We talked so much about the schedule with UVA and Tech. Notre Dame has... To me, if, if you go through the remaining schedules, the best blend of winnable games with dabbled in the opportunity to improve your, improve your resume. They have a wild week right now. Three games in the week and, and three different styles or three games in this stretch. NC State, which is just going to be spread the floor, shoot the three, play up tempo. Then Virginia, which we know low possession game, slow it down, defense, and then Duke with that front court and, and, and their defense, but their ability to to really do everything at this point. Notre Dame still has games with Duke, Miami, and Florida State that if they get one or two of them, whew, their resume looks really good. The rest of the games are what I think you and I would term winnable games. You know, they're, they're the NC State, UVA, NC State twice, as a matter of fact. They've got Louisville, Clemson. They've got some of the bottom of the league, uh, Boston College, Georgia Tech, Pitt, uh, still to play. So Notre Dame, to me, could very easily be at 20, 21, 22 wins. And if one of those is Florida State or, or Duke or Miami or, or maybe even Wake, I'm not sure that they're not right there on the bubble as well, again, if they can put all of that together. Mike, it's a really good point. And let, let me just add a little bit of, of context to it. Here's why the Fighting Irish could really be on that bubble or on the right side of it mm-hmm. come Selection Sunday. Non-conference strength of schedule. It is such a big deal to the selection committee. And right now, Notre Dame's non-conference strength of schedule, according to the net, is 29. <laughs> By far the best in the ACC. And it's diametrically a opposite to what Mike Bray has often done. There are some years where Notre Dame's in the 300s with non-conference strength of schedule. But this year, Kentucky, Illinois in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, St. Mary's of California, Indiana, you know, those those types of games, Texas A&M. Now, they lost most of those games, but they did beat Kentucky, Mm -hmm. and they've and only four of their games are classified as quadrant four, which is the, the weakest of of the of how the, the net categorizes your games. So it, it, you're right. If Notre Dame can get a couple of these Q1 opportunities that are remaining on its schedule, they're going to be right there. Yeah. And, and I think Saturday is vital for both. Right, vital for UVA if, if they lose. I think <laughs> we keep saying, but I think it's time to say they're they're really in a hole that they can't dig out of. And I think Notre Dame needs it because needs to win at home, and they need they need to chalk up all of these winnable wins. And then, like you said, get just get maybe one um, of those big ones that are that are looming. And um, 
I think they've got a chance. So I, I think you and I are on it when we say Carolina and Notre Dame are, are <laughs> we talk about it more in football, they're kind of in the control your own destiny yeah. kind of realm of things, right? If they put it together and win some games, they can get there. Everybody else, it's, it's, it's an uphill battle, although um, certainly we'll keep watching with Virginia and Virginia Tech. And you know what we've seen around the ACC, David, is some of the players who are really shaping the league and deciding where this thing goes, they're guys from the Commonwealth. They're guys from Virginia who went other places. And, and certainly you have to look no further than, than the triangle, right, to see the impact of, of how good some, some Virginia uh, high school players turn out to be in college. Right. I mean, we've already raved about Armando Baycott earlier for, for North Carolina. And you and also you mentioned Darian Sebron mm-hmm. uh, at, at NC State. Sebron went to Lake Taylor in Norfolk before then going on to Massanutten Military and, of course, Baycott at, at Trinity Episcopal before going down to a private academy in Florida. And then you've got Mark Williams from v- Virginia Beach at, at Duke and Trevor Keels from Paul VI up in Northern Virginia also at, at Duke. You know, Williams leads the league in block shots. Sebron and Baycott, Mike, would you agree – that right now, and we've got we're only halfway through the conference season. But if you were voting for all conference, would Darian Sebron and Armando Baycott both be on your first team? I know Alondis Williams would. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think they I think they would. Yeah, I'm- yeah, I think they would because they're not one dimensional players. Right, I think that's what's going to separate a lot for for player of the year and, and all conference. Like Baycott on the glass, Sebron uh, with some of the things he can do in different different levels of the offense. Yeah, I think so. And and, and again, Virginia kids. Yeah, the last time two players from Virginia high schools made first team All ACC, nineteen ninety four. Grant Hill, Joe Smith. It happened. <laughs> It happened three times in the 90s, and those are the only times I can find. Grant Hill and Joe Smith in 94. Grant Hill, and if I can read my handwriting, uh, gosh, I can't even read my – oh, George Lynch from Roanoke in 1993. And in 1990, Bryant Stiff and Dennis Scott. Dennis Scott went to a um, private school up in uh, Northern Virginia. So it was interesting. I, I was waiting in that list to hear if any of those guys played at Virginia or Virginia Tech. So Stith, right, would be yes. So it, and again, now certain recruits are you know Keels. I don't remember his recruitment, but I got the sense that um, maybe out of range. I remember Mark Williams and Armando Baycott considering yeah. the in school, mm-hmm. in state schools. Yes, um, the, both schools were very involved with both of those guys. Um, Sebron is the one that fascinates me because I remember nothing about his recruitment. Um, I, I don't remember if Tech or UVA were involved. Was he, I don't know if you recall, was he considered a, no. a big time prospect because he made a massive jump from last year to this year? A, a massive jump that even Kevin Keats will tell you he did not anticipate. I think he, he said on the conference call a couple of weeks ago, he thought eh, maybe eight and eight, something like that. Yeah. And now, you know, the, the, the guy's a double-double machine. Um, and, and, and Baycott, I, I saw a stat last night, Mike. He's the first Carolina player in more than 50 years with 10 consecutive double-doubles. And I thought the best compliment for Baycott, and Hubert Davis, he honestly, in an exasperated fashion, has said to us multiple times this year, he needs everybody to play as hard as Armando Baycott. Yeah. And that's what's frustrated Hubert at times with this team is, and it's why the inconsistency, the games where they bring it great, 
But there's a lot of games where guys don't seem to, and, and you know, Hubert said pretty bluntly, he doesn't get it um, because oh, nobody yeah. ever had to coach effort for him, right? You get the chance to play at this level, and he went on, obviously, to the NBA. Nobody had to pull effort. Nobody had to motivate him. And it's it's interesting to hear him talk that he struggled some because I think he views it, and probably rightfully so, as you have the chance to play basketball at North Carolina in the ACC. Why do you need me to light a fire under your butt? But other than Baycott, that team has needed that. And I think Hubert, the way he framed it the other day was he told them, look, you have a very limited time when you have this ability to play at this level. Take advantage of it. Talking about himself, he said, I wish I could still play at this level, but I can't. You can. Why are you wasting this? Yeah. And he I said mean, he, he believed it was starting to resonate, but clearly it didn't because then they went to Wake Forest and just laid a massive egg. Yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, you think about Hubert's background and he, he was, you know, coaching that JV team that they have where he said this too, like the guys are so grateful for the opportunity. He didn't have to coach effort or motivation there. Um, it is an adjustment, I think, and maybe in the off season. One of us will get the chance to, to talk to him, and I'm sure the, the writers there will. But I think it's been eye-opening to him, the idea that you know he can't focus on just X's and O's and match up. Like, he's got to get a fire lit under these guys. He didn't expect that, and it's why they've been inconsistent. But, David, it's, it's why you and I both said they could still be the team that makes the tournament because if he gets that fire lit, they've got the talent to do it. They absolutely do. And, and Mike, just to kind of – flush out that note about Baycott. I called up the ACC Network tweet. First Carolina player in 57 years with 10 straight double-doubles. <laughs> that takes us to 1965, where undoubtedly that player would have been Hall of Famer Billy Cunningham. Who I, I assume you covered many of those games. <laughs> nice. <laughs> And and on that note, you know, it, 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 it is remarkable because, I mean, Carolina basketball for the last two, three, we've got some names that we could rattle off. Oh, yeah. are, Anton Jameson, Tyler Hansbrough, Eric right. Montross. Double, double guys. Yes. Right. Not just the guards who, okay, that, you know, that'll happen. I mean, they've had some dominant power forward types and uh, yeah, Baycott brings it every night. And if he can get four or five other Tar Heels to bring it every night, uh, they'll give us something to talk about here the rest of the way and something for you all to watch. Well, thanks for listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite pods. And please consider supporting local journalism with a subscription to the TD. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. And please join David and me again next time. Next time.